Chapter 7 Lifelines of National Economy When the word lifeline comes, what image does it bring in your mind? To me, it's the blood vessels in a body that runs to every corner of a body carrying the blood supply and other essential micronutrients. Similarly, on that note, when we say lifelines of national economy, we are referring to the chain network of transport and communication that regulates the movement of goods and services from their supply locations to demand locations. So in this video, we are going to read about how modern means of transport and communication serve as lifelines of a nation and its economy. If you look at this figure, it's pretty self-evident. We are going to read about every individual mode of transportation as we go ahead. On Earth, basically the movement of goods and services are based on three domains, land, water and air. Traditionally speaking, transportation was confined to land, as human beings learned to use animals such as donkeys, horses and camels for transportation from 4000 BC to 3000 BC, and in 3500 BC, the wheel was invented in Iraq, which truly revolutionized the entire land transport system. But today we are totally in a different world. With the development in science and technology, trade and transport is expanding throughout the world. Trade and transport has been complemented with communication system in order to function efficiently. Therefore, we can go on to say that transport, communication and trade are complementary to each other. So let's read about few of the transports. The first one is roadways. India has one of the largest road networks in the world. It is much more than railways. When you have to transport something, roadways are so much flexible. You can switch roads or take a shortcut to reach your destination. But this is not possible in railways because they're fixed on tracks and those tracks have certain limitations in terms of geographical barriers. And there are few other factors that are the reasons behind the growth of road transport and some of them are number one, construction cost of roads is much lower than any other mode of transport. Number two, they can be built on any terrain. Number three, especially in the hilly regions, they are just the ideal way of transportation for those higher slopes. Number four, road transport is economical in transportation of goods and people over short distances. It gets a bit uncomfortable when the distance increases. Number five, it also provides door-to-door -door services, thus the cost of loading and unloading is much lower. Number six, road transport complements other modes of transport as they provide a link between railway station to airports or seaports. Now this information over here is important. I think this is one of the crux of this chapter. Roads in India are classified in the following six classes and they are the first one is golden quadrilateral superhighways. So these are superhighways that link cities like Delhi, Kolkata, Chennai, Mumbai and again back to Delhi. So if you go on these highways, these are six lanes. So let me just show it to you on the map. So if you look at the connection, it forms a figure of quadrilateral. And that is why it is named as golden quadrilateral. Now the main objective of these super highways is to reduce the time and distance between the mega cities of India. So this model is similar to the outer ring road of a city. So outer ring roads are the roads that are built outside the city. It covers the entire city in a round circle manner. Similarly, Golden Quadrilateral is like a outer ring road for the India. And all the national highways and state highways, they are connected to this quadrilateral. So because of these super highways, the interconnectivity between national and state highways gets a massive boost. 
because now due to this roads are linking cities like Jammu and Kashmir Srinagar and Jammu and Kashmir to Kanyakumari in Tamil Nadu similarly the roads in Silchar Assam which is on the eastern side of India is now connecting to cities like Porbandar in Gujarat on the west side of the country so these super highways reduce time and provides the ease of doing business because now industrial transportation is much more easier so these highway projects are being implemented by the National Highway Authority of India so the second one is national highways so basically national highways link extreme parts of the country or you could think of it this way that national highways connect a state with another state they are usually maintained by this uh, central government body known as central public works department and there are like many major national highways run in north to south and east to west direction so in this map you can take a look at some of the national highways of india so i'll just give you a list of some of the important national highways of india you can just go through them and keep them in mind these may come in your exams hence they are useful and the third one is state highways so these are the roads that link a state capital with different district headquarters so every state in india has a capital city and then there are various districts in that state so together all the districts form one state and whenever you have to travel from the capital city to the various district in that state you will have to take the state highway and when you go beyond the district this same road gets connected with the national highway so just remember this chronological order now these roads are constructed and maintained by the state public works department so just like how national highway is maintained by the central public works department in this case it's the state public works departments and the fourth one is district roads now these roads connect the district headquarters with other places of the district in simple terms the road you and i drive on every single day now i'm not talking about the road which is right in front of your gate or in front of your house i'm talking about the road which is like the main road on which huge vehicles including small huge all kinds of vehicles go so those are called district roads now these roads are maintained by zilla parishad so you can read about zilla parishad in 73rd constitutional amendment which is about rural local governments which are also known as panchayati raj institutions or pris so zilla parishad is an elected body it's more like block pramukh or panchayati samiti which are represented in the zilla parishad so again the members in the zilla parishad are elected for a term of 5 years again through regular adult franchisee voting system that we have in india and uh, it has a minimum of 50 to maximum of 75 members you must have heard about the block elections conducted at the municipality level so the person who gets selected from that particular block so number of blocks combined to form one parishad so like that we need 50 to 75 members or we can say block to form one zilla parishad so usually an is officer heads the administrative setup of the zilla parishad so one of their functions is to construct bridges and build roads and the fifth one is other roads we have covered all the major roads so now whatever that is left which are the smaller ones that that connects a village with a town those come under the category of other roads so these roads link rural areas with villages and towns therefore to develop these road will be the prime objective of national development in the words of our famous politicians who say that to develop india we need to develop the lives of rural people therefore with that thinking these roads they fall under the pradhan mantri gramin sadak yojana plan so under this scheme they receive certain amount of fund to improve the condition of the road 
So the meaning of all season motorable road is that it is supposed to be a pakka road which is not going to wash away during rainy season. And the last one is border roads. So there's a government organization called Border Road Organization. They construct and maintain the roads in the border area of the country. I think you can easily figure out what kind of roads we are referring to. So we are talking about the roads that are built on the border areas of two countries. So the main challenge of creating a border road is improving the accessibility in areas of difficult terrain. So if you look at the northern and the northeastern region, due to their rough topography, it's very difficult to build a road. And this region is not also much economically developed. So to help in the development process, there has to be a proper transport network. So it is the job of the border roads organization to develop roads of strategic importance. So if you see this map, you'll see that in the areas of Jammu and Kashmir and northeastern part, there you will not find railway lines. Because of the terrain, it is very difficult to build uh, railway infrastructures. Therefore, it means that these regions are automatically dependent on road transport. And therefore, you can imagine how important is the work of border roads organization. Now that we have read about the classification of roads done in India, you must also know that roads also can be classified on the basis of the type of material that is used for their construction. And that is when we go on to say whether a road is a metalled or an unmetalled road. So the meaning of metal road is which is made up of cement, concrete, which lasts in every season. It doesn't wash us away. And there's another material apart from concrete, which is used to make these metal road. And those are bitumen of coal. So in the previous chapters, we have read about the different types of coals. So in the order of the quality, they are anthracite, bituminous and lignite. So bituminous is the second best coal. Anthracite is of the highest quality. Bituminous coal have high heating capacity. So on the other hand, unmetalled roads, they go out of use in the rainy season. I mean, you have seen the roads which have lot of potholes during rainy season. So those are known as unmetalled roads. And the next topic that we go on to is road density. I want you to understand this term in the similar context of population density. So if you remember how population density is calculated, that is total population of an area divided by total land area. So if you were to take the population density of India, you need to first find out the total population of India, which is 1.23 or 24 billion divided by the total land area. Now I am not able to recollect what is the total land area. So I think you can find the number and just divide it. That is what is population density. Similarly, road density is the ratio of the length of the country's total road network to the country's land area. So instead of total population, you just have to put the total length of the country's total road network. And moments back, we have read that the road network includes all kinds of roads, the highways, national highways, state highway, district highway, golden quadrilateral, border roads, everything. Calculate the length of the country's total road network divided by the total land area. That is known as the density of roads. One more thing is that a distribution of roads is not uniform in the country, which means no two places or two states have same amount of roads or, or same length of roads, I would say. And that is true. I think we know the reason. It is, it is fairly because of the topography. Because there are places it is very difficult to build roads and the government has not taken much of initiative of making good roads on those places. So those places still rely on unmetalled road, which go out of use in the rainy season. A classic example is how road density in Jammu and Kashmir is 10 kilometers. And then in Kerala, you have 375 kilometers. 
Similarly, in Jammu and Kashmir, we just have 10 kilometer of road network and you could very much figure out the geographical barriers that both the states have. And moreover, the roadways are highly congested in cities and most of the bridges and culverts are old and narrow. So yeah, this all adds to the problem of road network in India. And the next topic is railways. So railways are meant for two things. That is one carry freight, which is goods and the other one is to carry passengers. Now with the addition of IRCTC, which stands for Indian Railway Catering and Tourism Corporation. So it is a subsidiary of the Indian Railways that handles the catering, tourism and online ticketing operation of Indian Railways. So with the addition of this branch, railways are now conducting activities like business sightseeing, pilgrimage, along with transportation of goods over long distances. So the country's first railway was built by the Great Indian Peninsula Railway, which was opened in 1853 between Bombay and Thane. With more than 150 years of history, the Indian railways have been a great integrating force for India. I mean, on one hand, it binds the economic life of the country. You know, everyday railways generate so much of revenue through uh, traveling, ticketing and all those things. And on the other hand, it has actually helped the country in accelerating the development of industry and agriculture. All the heavy and bulk goods are transported through railways because it is cost effective as well as the ideal transportation service within the country. So here are some facts that you can easily read out if you want to. So if you look at the distribution pattern of the railway network in our country, it is largely influenced by three factors and they are physiographic, which means the terrain and the topography of that particular place, whether that region is hilly or rough or it has a lot of jungle, etc. And the second one is economic factor, which means whether that place has enough industries or whether that place is rich in natural resources that can be transported. Because if you see, the railways earn their major income from freight service, that is transporting goods rather than passenger. So economic factor is very important for the railways. And the last one is administrative factor. So when we say administrative factor, we are talking about the political and the management aspect of the Indian railways. Because railways is such a huge organization, there's so many manpower involved, steps, processes. So all these things need to be efficiently managed. Unavailability of these factors can cause chaos to railways. So there should be a proper planning of operational work to make the Indian railways run smoothly. Therefore, all of these factors are very essential. So keep them in mind. Now, railways are very important to the national economy, but it has its own fair share of problems like many passengers travel without tickets. So that causes a huge loss to the railways. And then there are thefts and damaging of railway properties. Sometimes people pull the chain unnecessarily. So that causes a lot of time and time is money for the railways. So delay here and there causes many heavy damages to the railways. So this was all about the Indian railways. It's time to read about pipelines. So pipeline is a very new transport network to India. And traditionally speaking, pipelines were only used to transport waters to cities and industries. But if you see, things have changed. Now it is used to, now it is used for transporting crude oil, petroleum products and natural gas from oil and natural gas field to refineries, fertilizer factories and big thermal power plants. So this particular transport network is very expensive because you're going to need such a long chain of pipelines which is a very expensive considering the material that is used because these are some special insulated pipes. These pipelines will carry flammable or explosive materials such as natural gas or oil. 
and there is always a safety concern associated with it. Therefore, these pipes are made up of special material and which is very expensive. However, on the flip side, when the pipeline is laid, the subsequent running cost is very less. All you need to do is then just pump oil or gas. That's it. And you stand at the receiving end and collect it. So currently in India, there are three important networks of pipeline transportation in our country. So the first one is um, there's a pipeline from the oil field of Assam to Kanpur, which is in UP. So it passes through Guwahati, Barauni and Allahabad. So this pipeline is somewhere 1167 km long. So just imagine the length. Therefore, you can imagine the amount of cost associated with it. And the second pipeline is from Salaya in Gujarat to Jalandhar in Punjab. Again, this one is 1256 km long pipeline and it supplies crude oil. And the third one is a gas pipeline from Hazira in Gujarat that connects Jagdishpur in Uttar Pradesh. This pipeline has been constructed by Gas Authority of India, which is Gale. This pipeline only transports gas. Again, it is 1750 km long. And the gas that is transported is, is supplied to fertilizer plants. So again, if you want to read all of this in detail, I have a ready-made document available. The link to that page is in the description. Go ahead and download and start reading. And the next topic is waterways. India was one of the seafaring countries meaning most of the traveling from India to other countries were done through seaways. So being a peninsula, that is the advantage. So it has thus helped in carrying and spreading Indian commerce and culture to other nations. Now waterways are the cheapest means of transport and they are most suitable for carrying heavy and bulky goods. It is a fuel efficient and environment friendly mode of transport. There is an estimation that container ships emit roughly 40 times less carbon dioxide than large goods aircraft and of course three times lesser than large trucks so ships are energy efficient however the shipping industry faces its own fair share of problems with large amounts of polluting fuels being pumped into the seas by container ships so india has an inland navigation waterways of 14500 kilometer in length so inland navigation waterways are are those ferries and small ships that move on rivers within the states or sometimes from one state to another. And then we also have navigable mechanized boats. So due to so much of economical activities going on, the waterways has been declared as national waterways by the government. And, and there is a good amount of revenue that comes to the government from inland navigation. Some of the national waterways are the Ganga River between Allahabad and Haldia that is also referred to as National Waterway number one. And National Waterway number two is on Brahmaputra River between Sadia and Dhubri. And then we have National Waterway number three that is on the West Coast Canal in Kerala. So you will find this on the Malabar Coast. So like this, there are other viable inland waterways that include the Godavari Krishna Barak, Sundarbans, Buckingham Canal, East West Canal and Damodar Valley Corporation Canal. Now if you notice, these are some big rivers. So if they are big, therefore there will be some sort of water navigation that will be carried out and that will in turn generate revenue and any activity that generates revenue, the government regulates that. And the next topic is major seaports. Now India has a coastline of around 7,516 kilometers. And then we have 12 major and 181 medium minor ports and 95% of our foreign trade is handled through these seaports. So I'll just show you all the seaports of India in a map. Just have a look at it. So what is the purpose of a seaport? It handles the exports and imports of industrial and agricultural goods. 
The first seaport that was developed after independence in India was the Kandla seaport that is in Kutch, Gujarat. But it does not mean that we did not have seaports before independence. We did. It was totally under the British control. So some of the major seaports before independence that were under British control were the Mumbai port, the Chennai port and the West Bengal seaport. The Kandla seaport was specifically developed to ease the volume of trade on the Mumbai port. So most of the goods that goes to the states of Jammu and Kashmir, Himachal Pradesh, Punjab, Haryana, Rajasthan and Gujarat, they all gets delivered and picked up from the Kandla seaport. Now Mumbai is the biggest seaport with a lot of space and natural well-sheltered harbour. And then we have another major seaport with the name of Marmagao port in Goa. This port is used to export iron ore from the country to different parts of the world. And similarly, we have another port in Mangalore, that is in Karnataka. Even this seaport is used to export iron ore from India to other parts of the world. Now, Kochi is the extreme southwestern port that is located at the entrance of a lagoon with a natural harbour. Now, lagoon is a shallow body of water separated from a larger body of water by barrier islands or coral reef. So the lagoon at Kochi looks like this. This is the one. And when you look at the location, it looks very ideal for, for establishment of any seaport. Now coming to the eastern side, at the extreme southeastern side, there is a port which is named as Tutikorin, which is in Tamil Nadu. Now this particular seaport is used for delivering cargoes to our neighboring countries like Sri Lanka and Maldives. And then Chennai is one of the oldest artificial ports. And it handles similar volume of trade and cargo just like the Mumbai one. And then there is another port at Vishakapatnam. And then we have one in Orissa, which is named as Paradeep. Iron ore is exported through this port. So like this, we have many ports in India. Again, just have a look at this on the map and have a quick glance at them. And the next topic that we will read about is airways. That is the fastest, most comfortable and prestigious mode of transport. Uh, well, ideally, it is a perfect mode of transport to cover difficult terrains like high mountains, dreary deserts, then dense forests, and then oceanic stretches. The northeastern part of the country is an ideal place to travel in a helicopter because the geographical feature consists of a big river, we are talking about Brahmaputra, then dissected relief, dense forest, and frequent floods and international frontiers. So these are some major challenges that lie in front of transport industry. Therefore, air travel has made access easier. So from the operational point of view, currently in India, we have government airlines like the Indian Airlines and Air India. So Indian Airlines provide domestic air services along with private scheduled airlines and non-scheduled operators. Whereas the Air India provides international air services. Then we have helicopter services that provides services to oil and natural gas commissions in its offshore operations. So if you look at the Bombay High, it's located in the Arabian Sea. Therefore, traveling to their offshore base, helicopter is the ideal mode of transport. In this map, you can see the international airports of India. And the next topic is communication. Communication has changed rapidly in modern times. There was a time when long-distance communication was almost next to impossible. But today, it is much far easier. So when we talk about communication, we are referring to both personal as well as mass communication. So the modes that comes under your personal communication are your telephone, email, fax, etc. And the modes that comes under mass communication includes television, radio, press, films. Indian Postal Service is another mode of communication. 
It handles parcels as well as personal written communication cards and envelopes. The operation side of Indian Postal Network consists of first class mail and second class mail. So in the first class mail you have to pay a bit more than the second class mail. And when we are paying more, the kind of service is also superior. Today is the world of telecommunication and India has one of the largest telecom networks in Asia. And when we are talking about telecommunication, the major sectors of Indian telecommunication industry are telephone, internet, television and broadcast industry. Now space technology has a major role to play in the development of communication technology. With the help of communication satellites, we are able to communicate with other people in real time. Many common everyday services such as weather forecasting, remote sensing, GPS systems, satellite television and some long distance communication system critically rely on space infrastructure. Therefore space technology has a major role to play in the development of modern communication. Now we are left with two topics that is international trade and tourism as trade. I'm going to create a separate short video on both of this topic. Some of the data and facts are outdated in the book. I'm going to update them in the video. In that way, you can quickly watch it and prepare your notes for essays, long answers and all sorts of other tests. With that, we come to an end of this video. This one also marks the end of class 10th video series. I hope you found this entire series informative. Thanks for watching and I'll see you in the next one. If you enjoyed these videos and see a purpose behind watching them, please like the video and comment down below. Until then, catch you guys later and talk to you guys on the next one. Peace.